Well, this week, um, last Sunday, you had the privilege of hearing from our own Steve Burke, and I heard it was pretty fantastic. Um, I haven't had a chance to listen to the message yet, but uh, so excited that you were able to share, Steve. Um, I'm excited to share what uh, the Lord put on my heart this week. Uh, go ahead, Cliff, you can. Lights are going on, everybody. Beware. Um, I'm excited to, to be able to dive in and share. Uh, we got away last weekend as a family. So uh, Shree and I and Ann and Charity and, and our whole extended family on the Finstead side went to the North Shore and just had some incredible family time, playing a lot of games, learning a lot of new games, laughing more than we could even laugh. If you've never played the game Utter Nonsense, the clean version it is an incredible game. If you want a good group game, family game, uh, it's pretty funny. We always end up laughing way harder than we, than we should. Um, it's, it was just a ton of fun, a great time away um, as a family, and I'm just so thankful that uh, you guys were able to hear from Steve and, and hear what was on his heart. This week, I'm going to continue sharing about the name of Jesus and the power that, that is in the name of Jesus, but I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach to it um, something that has just really been uh, on my heart a lot recently, and Shri kind of talked about it a little bit during communion, but I want to talk today about identity and how our identity is, is so important in understanding what and who our identity is, is found in. Before I do that, I just want to review a little bit from the last few weeks. So two weeks or three weeks ago, I guess, uh, we started digging into the power that exists in the name of Jesus. And you have the ability, so in your name, in your personal name, you have the ability to sign for things. We talked about when you buy a house, you sign your name over and over and over again. Your, your first signature looks like your signature, and by the end it looks like a scribble, right? Because you're just signing it so many times. But your signing, that is your declaration, that is your name. You have all of the power that goes with your name. And the name of Jesus carries more power than any other name. It's the most powerful name that we know um, in the universe. Names also carry significance. We could all name the names of presidents, right? We can think of President George Bush, President uh, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington. Uh, you know, the list could go on and on and on. We all know that names carry significance. You think, when you hear a name, you think of either your emotions towards that person, right? We kind of talked about that, where if you said the name... Uh, I'm going to try not to choose someone controversial. Michael Jordan. You could probably think of somebody, an emotion that went with that. Um, or the name Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers or, if you're a Viking fan, Kirk Cousins or somebody, right? You have, you have emotions, whether they're good or bad, towards that person. So names carry significance. They also carry a lot of weight. So the name of Jesus carries the most weight. In the Bible, it talks that the name of Jesus can move mountains, can heal the sick, can cast out demons, literally reshape the world. And that's what Jesus did, right? When he came, he reshaped the world. The world was not the same after Jesus came, right? So we can, we can look at his name and his time on the earth and go, we base our entire calendar, annual calendar, off of when Jesus came, right? So his, his ability, him being here, was so significant and it still carries a lot of significance. Most of all, though, the name of Jesus has the power to transform our identity. And I want to dig into that a little bit today. But first, I want to ask a question. 
How many of you ever had your credit card information stolen? I have, right? All of us probably have. I promise I'm going somewhere with this. It's a horrible feeling, right? Or maybe you've, had, you've been a victim of identity theft. Hopefully that hasn't happened to anybody where it's gotten really, really intense. I know Shree and I, we have a really good bank that alerts us. We were driving home from vacation one year and they said, hey, were you just in Chicago at a liquor store? And we're like, we were definitely not in Chicago at a liquor store. Somebody had somehow stole our credit card information and used it to buy um, some things in, in Chicago. So we've had that happen to us. And there's some emotions that go with having your identity stolen, right? When somebody steals your credit card information, you feel violated. You feel upset. How could this happen? I don't go anywhere. I don't buy anything. How does somebody get my credit card information? I remember having that feeling like, literally, I just go to work and I come home. I don't go to, I don't go to the airport. I don't go to all these places. How does somebody get my credit card information? If any of you watch YouTube, there's a guy on YouTube. His name is Mark Rober. My kids love him. I'm sure the Price Kids, I see Milo is shaking his head. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a scientist, uh, engineer, something like that, that creates content for kids. And he actually was trying to help the government by digging into these scammers across the globe, trying to dig in. Literally, they had an organization that was just there to steal your identity, to get you to tell them their social, your social security number, all of this information so they could steal it. So he tried to dig into that, and, and all of that to say there's literally organizations in this world that are meant to steal your identity. There's a lot of power in your identity, right? Right? When we sign our name, that's the, the name of our person. I'm Adam Verks. That's my identity. When someone hears my name, they know who I am, right? There's a lot of power in that name. So when someone steals our credit card information, they're doing what? They're impersonating us. So they're saying, oh, this card that belongs to Adam Verks, I'm going to use it and I'm going to impersonate him. I'm going to pretend to be him. It's not him. They've stolen my identity. According to the United States government, identity theft is technically when someone steals your information to commit fraud. And like I mentioned, when we feel this, or when this happens to us, we feel violated, taken advantage of, frustrated, upset. I remember when it happened to us, we were like, how did this happen? I don't understand. And the interesting thing is, you know, that's just financial, right? It was just a financial loss. We went to our bank. We said, hey, this wasn't us. They have insurance for that. They got the money back into our account. They canceled our cards. It was fine. It was taken care of. It was just a financial loss, and it was temporary. The enemy's goal and the enemy's job is to try and steal our identity permanently. So he tries to wrap us up in all of these things and tell us all these things that were actually not true. So the enemy will come at you and say, you're just not a good person. You know, that thing you did 12 years ago, do you remember that? It shows that you're not a good person. You don't like people. How could God love you? He tries to convince you of the things that you're not. He wants to derail you off of the path that God has already established for you. That's what his goal is. You know, it's kind of like the railroad, right? The railroad is this way. If you're, if you're going on the tracks, you're going on the tracks. But when the track splits, typically there's like a lever you can pull depending upon where 
the train needs to go. Well, the enemy's goal is to pull that lever and get you going in a path that you're not supposed to go. And he does that by attacking your identity, by attacking who you are as a person and who God has called you to be. Because as Sheree was mentioning earlier, God has loved us from the beginning of time. During worship, I was in with Lila in the nursery and I was reading one of the books in there. It's a little kid's book. And it's all about being thankful that God created that person because he loves you so much more than you could even fathom. And the enemy's goal is to try and get you away from acknowledging that or understanding that or realizing that. He wants to be the ultimate identity thief. But when we think about our identity and when we think about the name of Jesus, Jesus knew his identity from the beginning. In the beginning, the Word was with God. Jesus was there. He didn't have to go, who am I? He knew exactly who he was. And yet he chose to come to earth to save us. It's pretty cool, right? It's pretty cool. One of the things that we, you know, we talked about with identity is our name carries a lot of weight. How many of you had older siblings? Raise, show, show of hands. Did you all go to the same school growing up? Same high school? So how many of you, when you got to your 10th grade civics class and it was the same teacher that your older sibling had said, oh, you're so-and-so's sister. You're so-and-so's brother. That happened all the time in Ellsworth. So there's one high school in Ellsworth, my hometown. I have two older sisters uh, and I have two younger sisters. I feel bad for my youngest sisters because they... Oh, man. We were really good kids. I'm, I'm not tooting. I was a good kid. So my sister Alyssa, who's two years younger than me, we're very close, really close. Um, she always hated it because she'd come to school and the teacher would be like, oh, you're Adam, sister. We loved Adam. You must be great. And I'm not joking. That probably did happen because I, I, I got along with my teachers. But it drove her nuts because she's like, I'm my own person. I'm not Adam's sister. She was, but I don't want to be known by that. And I would get it. Oh, you're Amy and April's brother. Yes, I am. I'm my own person. So uh, oftentimes, people would have preconceived notions about who we are based on our last name. Oh, you're a Verx. Oh. Or you can insert it. Oh, you're O, right? Insert any family last name that you know. Maybe the, the kids, the older kids were hoodlums or maybe they weren't great in school oh you're so and so you know whatever right because there's power in that name in your last name i hated it being compared to my older siblings but i also loved it because it meant that my parents had done a good job raising us that teachers looked at us oh good i have a verks in my class instead of oh no i have a verks in my class that would have been a bad thing so our identity can be wrapped up in our name, our last name. And, and sometimes our identity is also what people think of us, just like uh, teachers thought of myself or my younger siblings based on my older siblings. And many times throughout the Bible, God would change the name of individuals to change their identity. So if you look in the Old Testament, he went from Abram to Abraham, right? He went from Jacob to Israel. From Simon to Peter. Why would he do that? 
because there's significance in your name and your identity. Well, let's just look at Peter. Peter was the rock. But before he met Christ, he was known as Simon. So why would Jesus do that? Because he wanted to understand, he wanted Simon to understand that he's not the same when he starts following Christ. He's not the same. Now that doesn't mean to go, doesn't mean for us to say that when you become a Christian, that you're supposed to change your name to something else. But it does mean that when you become a Christian, that you take on all that Christ is. And your identity is no longer former self. There's a line drawn. And everything that was old, that's your old identity. So the name that you knew, your name doesn't change, but everything in the past is gone. And you truly start afresh. So oftentimes God would change those names to show this is a line in the sand. This is when you are starting your new identity with those folks. And I don't know about you, and, and just thinking about identity and, and how this kind of ties into who we are as individuals, uh, but when I was a kid, you know, probably Graham or Elijah's age, you know, nine, between five and nine years old, I would see my dad and I thought he was Superman. I did. I thought he was just like the strongest, most able to do anything kind of guy. And that was his identity to me. I knew that if, if I needed help with something, I could go to my dad. And it might be a, opening a jar of pickles, but if I had, man, he opened, I was like, wow. Right? Because I, my, I thought he was a superhero. That's who I thought he was. My identity, how I viewed his identity was not just as a guy, but it was truly as this superhuman type mentality. Now, as I grew up, I realized that I could open jars of pickles and it wasn't necessarily the case. But I had this idea, this mentality of who my dad was. He was superhuman. That obviously wasn't the case. But because I thought he could do anything as my dad, I would ask him to do sometimes inexplainable things, right? That he probably couldn't do. But I would think because he could do all of these things, well, of course he could do that, right? Because that's his identity in my head was that of a superhero. And I guess the question I would ask you is, do we have the same expectations of our Heavenly Father? Probably not. Do we come to God, our Father, who truly can do anything, and ask Him for audacious things? I don't know. I'll let you answer that question on your own. So what does all this have to do with our identity? Sometimes our identity can look like one thing from a distance than it actually is. So using the example of my siblings in school, People created thoughts in their mind of who I was going to be because of my sisters. They might have been accurate. They might have been wrong. But those are the preconceived notions because those are what people could see from far away. Those teachers only spent an hour with me every week, maybe a couple times a week. They weren't with me at home. They weren't with me in the car. They weren't with me any of these other places. They could only see something from a distance. And sometimes our identity can look very different from a distance than it actually is, right? 
So somebody might see something and go, oh, that person is this. And they could be totally wrong. And in today's society, there's an identity crisis. More and more people don't know who they actually are. Right? Because from a distance, it looks like one thing. But you get closer to that person, and they might not even know who they are. And I want to share today why it's so important for us to ground ourselves in the Word to understand who our identity is found in. So, I want us to turn, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 6. Uh, we're going to read verses 5 through 11. And I just want, I want as, we're, as, I'm, as I'm sharing this, I want you to think through what and how we identify our identity. So Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 11. <clears throat> it says, Since we have been united with Him in His death, we will also be raised to life as He was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. And I want you to pay attention to this next portion. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with Him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and He will never die again. Death no longer has any power over Him. When He died, He died once to break the power of sin. Not multiple times, one time. But now that He lives, He lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. So we know that when we're united in Christ, our new identity is found in Him. Our old identity dies just like Jesus died on the cross. It goes. It, it doesn't come back. It's gone. And because our identity is found in Christ, we have full access to everything it means to have our identity found in Christ. Right? So I, using a similar example to what I talked about a few weeks ago with the police officer, we talked about a police officer has authority because of the badge they wear and the uniform they have and what backs them, right? We know a police department backs them to make those decisions. When we have our identity rooted in Christ, we know that we have Christ backing us. And when we have Christ backing us, that means that everything that Christ is, we also have access to. Right? So, if Christ, if Christ raised people from the dead, and He is found in us, and all of His power and everything that He is is found in us, we should have the faith to say, all that Christ did, I can do as well. Right? Yep. We should have the faith to say, just because Jesus did it 2,000 years ago, doesn't mean that stuff can't happen today. Sure, it happened a long time ago. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When we know where our identity is found, and I don't just mean who we are, because I think there's, an ex uh, there's a differentiation here. We might know who we are, but to know whose we are, it opens our eyes to what is truly possible. So when you not only know that you are saved by Christ, and you are a new creation, and you are found in Him, but when you also know that you are His child and He loves you, 
more than you could imagine. It opens your eyes to understand that you don't just love Jesus because He died on the cross so you can go to heaven someday. That's a benefit, absolutely. But you love Jesus because He changes and transforms who you are on a daily basis. He's constantly renewing you day in, day out. And that just doesn't show up in, oh, I read my Bible today. It shows up in every avenue, in how you communicate with your spouse, in how you communicate with your friends, how you come across in work meetings, how you have patience and grace. When you take on the identity that is Christ, you are a different person, and people start to notice that. And when people start to notice it, they start to say, what's different with you? Why don't you get upset when somebody challenges you in an inappropriate way at work? Why doesn't that bother you? Why don't you lash back at them? You only have one example, because that's not who I am. I show grace, I show love. And that doesn't mean that you're not always, you're never going to make a mistake, right? We all have those moments. We all have those moments where you uh, have a slip of the tongue and you get upset or you say something you shouldn't do. That's going to happen. But when you know that your identity is found in Christ, it draws people to Him. And since we are united to God through Christ, He doesn't want us to keep going back to the way that we used to be. He wants us to move on past that talks about that. Paul writes about that. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. The power of sin. So that means when you have temptations, you can say, no, that's not who I am. It's not who I am anymore. He doesn't want us to be trapped in sin. He doesn't want that to hold us back. He wants us to move past that. And when we embrace our identity in Him, we set aside our old selves and look to our transform, transform self. Colossians 3, verses 1-4 through 4 says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all His glory. Sheree talked about this morning. That's, all, that's why Jesus came, so that we could share in His glory. So he could be, we could be united with Him and our identities could be found in Him. We are no longer our old former selves when we come to Him. We can all think of those moments that maybe we had before we were following Jesus. Those moments where you're like, now you look back and go, wow, that was a really bad decision. But the thing is, is we don't have to look back. All we have to do is look forward. Because we know that once we accept Christ, He's got a plan for us, and we can just keep looking to the future, not looking to what happened in the past. We can reshape the way that we think about ourselves when we truly embrace the identity that is found in Christ. We're no longer lost because we've been found. We're no longer forgotten. We've been chosen. 
We're no longer living in shame. We, in shame, we have been redeemed through Christ. So our identity isn't our old self. Our identity is found in the person of Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So think about the things that we struggle with. Fear, anxiety, doubt. The enemy tries to throw at us, right? We can look at it and say, no, I don't have to live in fear. I've been redeemed from fear. I don't have to live in anxiety. I've been redeemed from anxiety. I don't have to live in shame. I've been bought by the blood of the Lamb. Right? We don't have to look at those things and try and take those on as our identity. How many times have you met somebody and they say, oh, one of the, one of the ones I've heard recently is, I struggle with imposter syndrome. Anybody ever heard of imposter syndrome? Anybody ever heard of this? No? Danielle has. So imposter syndrome is essentially where you don't feel like you are capable to do anything you should be doing. So it might be at work. You might be in a position of a leadership, in a leadership role, and in your brain you say, I don't know why I'm here. I'm, this, there's no way, I sh- no reason I should be here. Eventually someone's going to find out, I am not capable to do this. Right? In your brain, you think you are an imposter. And you know what that is? That's a lie from the pit of hell. Because the Lord has put you in places exactly where He needs you. Tim's a pilot. I could only imagine if Tim was like, I don't know why I'm a pilot! I don't know about you, but I probably wouldn't want that person flying my plane. Right? But Tim knows I am capable. I have been taught, I have been trained how to fly a plane. And I'm glad that he has, because if it were me up there, I'd be saying, I don't know what I'm doing! Right? The enemy tries to throw that stuff on us. He tries to tell us, you're not capable to do this. But I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Right? I can do all things. And my identity needs to be found in Him, not in my abilities. Because if I rely on my abilities, I'm going to fail 100 times out of 100. Because I'm not strong enough to not get upset at my coworker when they do something they shouldn't have done. Personally, I'm not, I don't have enough grace in my body to always forgive. But Jesus does. And when we start a relationship with Him, and we take on His identity, we know that we don't have to do it alone. We don't have to try and manage and navigate those things on our own. 1 John 3, 1 through 2 says, and I'm going to start to close with this. See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know Him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But, do know, but we do know that we will be like Him for we will see Him as He really is. We get to be like Him. Everywhere you go, you are a living, breathing radiance of light for Christ. Everywhere you go. 
because we know him. And people see Jesus when they see us. I want, you encourage you, I want to encourage you today that when the enemy tries to remind you of your past, maybe it's the wrong decisions you've made, the mistakes that have happened, you can remind him of who you are. I'm a child of the Most High God and whose you are. That you have entered into a relationship with Jesus and you have taken on His identity. It also says that we are heirs with Christ. An heir means that you get to receive everything that that person had. Nowadays, we talk about it in the, in, in the terms of a will, right? Somebody creates a will as they're getting older, so that way if they leave this world earlier than expected, people know what to do with their assets, their house, their vehicles, their finances. And then depending upon who that is, it might be their children, it might be their spouse, whoever it is, then those people are given rights to those things. They are an heir to the estate, you could say. Well, as children of God, we are heirs to all that Christ is. Because of who Christ is and what He did for us, that you have a right, not just, oh, if this happens, you have a right right now, not, when, not in the future, right now, to use the authority that, and the power that comes with Christ. That Christ had as an heir with Christ, you have all the things, all the authority, all the power that comes with Christ. You also have the victory over all the things that the enemy tries to throw at you. Because your identity is found in Christ, not in your own works. You have all the authority to say, no, you've already been defeated. I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to live in anxiety. The thing that I want to remind you though, those moments are still going to come. It's how you respond in those moments that matters. The enemy is still going to try and throw those darts at you. He's going to throw those doubt darts at you. Does God really love you? Really? He's going to throw those things at you. It's how you choose to respond. Are you filled up with the word to say, God's not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind? And to say it, and to say it, and to say it, and to know that in your heart that you don't have to live in fear? I'm going to close with these last two verses. Romans 8, 37 and 39 says, No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then in 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Don't allow the enemy to try and steal your identity. 
That person, your old former self, is gone. When those thoughts bubble up in your head about the mistakes you've made, just remind the devil about 2 Corinthians 5.17. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. That's where your identity is found. Your identity is found in Him. The old is gone, a new has begun. That's why we call it born again. That's why we call it being born again. Because truly, you are starting over. And it's not like starting over where you've got, remember when you were a kid and there was the chalkboard? Does anybody remember that? Nowadays they've got like technology boards in schools. When I was in elementary school, they had the, chalk, you had the chalkboard, and, and at recess, you'd have to go and slap all the, the erasers. Does anybody remember that? And you come back, you're covered in chalk dust. But when you would wipe the chalkboard, there was always still this residue on the chalkboard, right? That you could see that somebody was writing there. It was cleared off, but it wasn't clean. But sometimes, the teacher would get out a, a, a wet rag, and they would clean the chalkboard and get all that dust off, and it looked brand new. We are not the first version of that. Where Jesus clears, you know, cleans our slate, but there's still the dust, the residue from the past. No. When we start a relationship with him, he wipes it clean. And then he doesn't keep track of all the things we do wrong after that. He wipes it clean and it stays that way. It's perfect. Because he's thrown it as far as the east is from the west. And if you think about that, the east never touches the west. Because if you're going east, you'll always be going east. If you're going west, you'll be going west. They don't touch each other. So if Jesus has forgotten about our past, it's time that we do as well. It's time that we stop trying to solve for the things that happened years ago and move on. Give it to God. Don't allow those things to continue to derail you. It's done. It's over with. Move on. Because Jesus doesn't remember it. He sees you as He sees Himself. Perfect. Perfect. He's not standing up there with a lightning bolt waiting to strike you down. It's not who He is. He sees you as His beloved child. Amen? Amen.